tie one on last night? A little early in the week for a Saturday. What's that? Colson's voice didn't sound right, but then neither did Eric's. Hungover or... What? No, no, just don't feel well. Sucks, man. You got the boss looking for you. Eric walked away, ear cocked to the ceiling as though waiting to hear from God. Colson stood there, surrounded by cubicles, hearing too loudly, all the same chatter. Voices both soft and harsh, warnings to men who refused to show up for parenting classes, people who failed drug tests but insisted otherwise, court dates and other everyday catastrophes. He looked at the row of offices lining the back wall, windows with blinds, most of them open. Department manager sitting on a chair, doodling on an acoustic guitar, his face working too hard to hide the battle inside, waged between the part of him that glowed with excitement at doing, quote, real work that matters, and the other part, the tired cop who saw the reality of the Sisyphean task laid before him. Colson forced his body toward the office, stopped at the water cooler. One of the other workers, a redhead whose name always seemed to escape him, filled her water bottle, glanced up at, then away from Colson's face. All suspicion of his own alien nature proving true, held to the light. The water almost felt good on his tongue. He crumbled and tossed his cup, knocked on the door, heard a couple notes of all along the watchtower by Hendrix, then, open, he entered, immediately noticing the difference between the world of cubicles and the wall of offices, a change in sound, air temperature, quality. He'd never set foot in that office before. The manager put his guitar down, went over and sat on the desk, motioned for Colson to take the chair he just left. Colson sat. What can you tell me about the Gibson case? Colson wondered if anyone else in the world ever experienced full-body nausea. Gibson case? Gip. Gibson. Colson's mind went hollow an empty basement full of echoes. From his seat facing the window, he watched the work carrying on without him. The rush and the shuffle and drag of bodies over the floor. Cases flowing, closing, kids pulled, placed, and displaced as the angels grew less and less certain of the value of their work. Colson, what? I need you present. What can you tell me? Next to that name... In his mind, Coulson saw a blank space. Gibson. Nothing. Coulson, you lost a kid. A girl, Jerry. Jerry Lynn Gibson passed away last night. Coulson could hear his own blood. Couldn't feel anything. Felt everything. The chill of the room... Eyes on him, refusing to pass by without a glance. Briefly, he saw his own reflection in the window, then himself through their eyes. A thin slump of a man. A sliver of shame and grief sitting in a chair. A murderer by default. Negligence, overwork, and inattention. Trying to conjure up an image of the girl. He closed his eyes. Could only imagine a baby. Off-white, generic, forgettable. The manager went on about next steps, suspension, investigation, the likelihood of termination. Colson couldn't speak. 
his body a forever suspended scream wrapped in a silent cry. Doug sank into his seat, into himself, the way he did on the school bus before he became famous or the passenger seat any time his mother drove. His thoughts drifted back to the life before this, torture drive with his mother, long nights heading nowhere, to go see some friend of hers in New Hampshire or the northwest corner of the state or New York, air supply in the radio. She'd say, let's go get ice cream, and after that they'd go further into her sadness as she drove and sang and sometimes cried. He'd stare out the window. He'd narrow his eyelids so he could imagine taillights of other cars as laser beams vaporizing other cars. His own mother, both of them. She listened to Sinead O'Connor the way he imagined old people listened to priests and preachers. A supplicant swallowed by the sound, every note a call to prayer or a promise of a better world. Listen closely for instructions. Codes between notes. On nights like that, he'd wonder about his father. What his life might have looked like if mom left and dad stayed. The phone buzzed in Doug's pockets. He remembered the feeling of walking to school on a Monday. The noise of it. Hearing other kids' laughter, shouting, inside jokes made over the weekend, and he'd feel another layer of growth on that invisible membrane separating him from the rest of the world, growing thicker and thicker at every moment. The phone buzzed again. He took it out, saw a series of text messages from his mother, saying, hello, sweetie, I miss you, calling him a star. Can you believe it? We did it. Hoping he'll call her, missing him more. He erased them all. The feel of cold air blowing on his skin. A brief elevation in volume of people talking around him. A shot of chemical odor combined with a biofunk. He swiped away news headlines about mysterious diseases and miracles as he put his earbuds in. He fell asleep to We Will Fall by the Stooges. Nobody left the donut shop and headed south on Main Street. He didn't want to hear anything about Odessa, the protest, the fall of a church and the government, another failed revolution. It only brought him the sickness increasing with every step, now pins and needles through his whole existence, a pain only healing others could abate. He closed his eyes and saw a mass of people, the tired portion of the universal mind allotted the human race by whatever design. He opened them to see a man pleading for salvation, wailing on his knees. Without stopping, the nameless one waved and the man pitched forward, barely catching himself. His cry turned into a scream as another delusion, that of salvation, left his body. The miracle worker only felt a slight reduction in his sickness, heard the words of the former heroin man in his head. Prophets and spies work with the least information. A pale white woman on a bicycle pulled up on the sidewalk, hard body and a prematurely aged face. Clearly recognizing him from the news, she leered at him. The innate snark and superiority expected of a tenured professor of social cultural analysis. She began speaking about the exhausted notion of anti-hero as quintessential American savior. He stopped, turned to her, spoke. Brilliant. Correct as well, though telling it to a room of privileged 19-year-olds does the world no great service. He continued south, 
no sense of the pain diminishing, the need to heal against his will, the horror of walking at odds with his own design. The hospital came into view, a large brick-faced building that reeked of hope, despair, and possibility. He entered. Those in the waiting room looked up at him in awe. A television spoke near the ceiling. Below that, a woman clutching a small child looked up at him, tears in her eyes, the word, please, on her lips. He glanced at her, then up at the news. The anchor person spoke. Both employer and family claim no communication since her disappearance after yesterday's miracle. The nameless one looked at the face on the screen, recognized the woman, the one he brought back to life outside the good news. A twinge of relief cut through his body of pain, and he knew something inside of her. Some possible difference existed before her heart even stopped. Same thing within the whispering little girl. The woman in the chair holding the toddler spoke. Please, she said, and the small child's whispers grew louder, faster. Her eyes closed, no facial expression, a crushed prayer, a poem, a litany of failed saints and swallowed centuries. Please, she came down with a fever yesterday. I brought her in and they just told me to give her Tylenol. I went back, we went back up today. It's 105. It's really scaring me can't even understand her. I, I, don't, I don't even know what language she's speaking. He knelt down beside the woman and child. The news took a break. A commercial for a robot vacuum cleaner came on. Placed his hand on the woman's head, then her child's, felt the heat come into his body, felt the skin cool under his touch, felt the bond between them, mother and daughter, increase. The relief coming off the mother, the whispered words stopping, then he stood and pushed the locked door open. In the hallway, a man lay bleeding on a gurney. He touched his wounds and healed them. Blood on his hands. The nameless one followed the sound of moaning, entered a room where he saw a doctor standing shocked over an androgynous body, a glow emanating from it, the color outside of the spectrum human eyes could perceive. The doctor, horrified, a shivering nothing in the face of the unknown. The miracle worker could hear words between moans, gibberish words that meant nothing to the doctor, but the hymn came in as clear as the words of the child in the waiting room. In jest of myself and no freedom, swallow the sickness and escape the design. Nobody stood over the glowing body, feeling, for a moment, a rabid yet hungry peace before biting into its neck the blood filling his mouth, throat, bringing with it images of an evolved humanity. Wise zombies crashing hotel bars, college campuses, weddings, newsrooms, running amok on city streets.